Welcome to Not So Standard Deviations. This is episode 41, and I'm Roger Pang from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, and I'm here with Hillary Parker of Stitch Fix. So, how are you doing, Hillary? I'm doing great. How, how about you? Okay. Uh, do you have any special things to tell us before we start? <laughs> I do. Um, so, I wanted to first say thank you to all the patrons from or patrons from Patreon, um, and also wanted to mention that all the stickers are in the mail right now so if you haven't gotten the sticker if you're international maybe give it a week or two but if you haven't gotten the sticker soon or if you haven't gotten it in the past definitely reach out um and let let us know um and so and we've started to we want to give a shout out once every episode to patrons um just as a way of saying thank you and First of all, important caveat, if you don't want a shout out, um, definitely ping us and let us know that you'd prefer not to be named. Um, and you know, going forward, if you decide to subscribe, you can just leave us a note when you subscribe saying you don't have a shout out. So with all that done, I wanted to give a shout out to actually our first patron, which was um, Ashley Durkin Rixley. Um, so thank you, Ashley, for your support. And um, I was especially excited about this one because I remember, I definitely remember like anxiously waiting to see if we would get any patrons. <laughs> I don't know if Roger, you were also watching anxiously. <laughs> yes, I was. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's like hard to put yourself out there. And yeah. And so um, I really appreciate her support. And she, um, I know her through like randomly through two venues. One is roller derby. <laughs> that I did in Baltimore. And then um, she also works um, with the publicist for the ASA, um, the American Statistical Association. So it's super fun to have, you know, a fan of ours, like with the, you know, working with the ASA. So that's super cool. So thank you, Ashley. Yeah, thanks very much. I have a very, 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 very quick follow-up for on, on cloud computing. Yeah, oh, what's that? Because, um, this is, actually this isn't even news, this is like, a, like over a month old uh but um president donald trump is on your side on this battle oh god <laughs> <laughs> well because i saw that he signed some well, this is an interesting story actually he signed some executive order uh mandating that federal agencies start moving all a lot of their kind of data and processes to the cloud actually Hmm. Uh, so there's, I feel like there's a zero percent chance that he actually understands. Oh what no! This means. Well, first yeah. of all, a lot of this was started under Obama. Um, yeah, and uh, and I think this is just a kind of a furtherance of that process. Um, and and the reasoning is um, is security and uh, yeah. I, and uh, <laughs> what's that? Oh, it's just funny. Like, yeah, he seems so concerned about security. He does, like, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's been he's been really going after those, uh, you know, hackers and everything. And yeah. maybe this is his son's influence, though, right? His son who's really good at computers or whatever. That's right. Said. Yeah, on the cyber. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, on the cyber. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Let's. So I can I can scale back the snark. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Bring it on. Um, but uh, I don't know. But okay. So I, I do have one legit question, which is not really data science related. But I, mm -hmm. I, my I guess my question is like, do you think it actually is more secure, regardless of like you know, who's signing this executive order? Mm. You know, that's a really good question. I I'm a, I'm not sure because on the one hand. AWS and stuff, they've built in security. Like, it is possible to create very secure infrastructure around cloud infrastructure, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, like, 
Yeah, I mean, every company is obviously super concerned about this. And I think the state of the art has gone up. I think the adoption of cloud computing methods has gone up as the state of art of security has gone up. But that being said, so I feel like it's on par. I mean, I think you could probably create a more secure system if it's like not connected to the internet <laughs> and, you know, like whatever the NSA is doing, which yeah. I have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> I'm sure that's the most secure. <laughs> and I have a feeling it does not involve everything being on the internet. Well, so, I mean, yeah, but even yeah. still, it's not perfect, right? There's been, they've been hacked also. Yeah, right? have so. they? Oh yeah, well Edward Snowden. <laughs> oh right, right, right. No, yeah. I take it back. No, I take that's wrong. He he wasn't a hacker. He was an employee. Um, yeah. But they or there a was like a right. Yeah, yeah, there was like a set of tools, like hacking tools that were uh, stolen from like a server of mm -hmm. theirs. Um, I and, see. And uh, anyway, so that was the second thing. But um, um, yeah. No, I think, I don't know, I kind of feel like it probably is more secure than like the 1500 or whatever win outdated Windows desktops that are in the Department of Agriculture or something like that. You know, like, I, yeah. I can't imagine that's more secure, but. Absolutely. And probably most critically, it's it's probably easier to hire security people who are up to date with the state of the art stuff versus hiring people who know this sort of outdated system. You see what I mean? Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. To the to your point, I don't actually know if it's more secure or not. Well, I don't know either. <laughs> or I like, just if it what, got yeah. if it got more secure over time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think um, centralizing the security seems like, in one ways, in some ways, it would be better because there's fewer points of like, you know, infiltration, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's it always kind of. I think you talk to people in other countries and. Uh, you know, they warn you about you know, putting all, <laughs> putting everything in like one system, right? Um, mm -hmm. Where like the government can do anything, you know. But uh, granted, granted, this this is already this is already the government's information, so it's not like they didn't right. have access to it already. Um, yeah. So anyway. Yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting if we got someone from the NSA to talk with us. <laughs> <laughs> Unlikely, but there was the the director of research from the NSA spoke at this Women in Data Science conference I went to. Okay. Um so there are people from the NSA who do public speaking and sort of, you know, yeah. interaction with the public. Um, and so, I mean, I don't think we'll get around this podcast necessarily, but <laughs> it would be interesting. Yeah. Like, like it would be interesting to see what the public face of this is for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. they also, they always go to JSM. They're always there. Um, Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. There'll probably be a ton of people from the NSA there this year because yeah. JSM, which is the joint statistical meetings for people who haven't been before uh they're in the jsm is in baltimore this yeah. year so and i guess very, it's worth noting that the nsa is very close to baltimore too <laughs> yeah <laughs> in case yeah. people didn't NSA know that. is like halfway between baltimore and washington dc so anyway that's a that's a, an aside on security there which is not a little off topic but um yeah uh well i guess the whole cloud computing thing is debatably off topic <laughs> 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 um okay so very quick more follow-up uh, I mean, this one was a no-brainer. Theranos in the news. Yeah. Um, I selling I, off their Selling stuff. off their 2,000, uh, this is based on a tweet, uh, their 2,000 monitors. I guess, mm -hmm. I assume they're selling their computers to go with it, but... Um, <laughs> But uh, I, don't, I like part of me doesn't even think that's real. <laughs> <laughs> well, is the company completely gone under or is it just that they've done massive layoffs? I have no idea. I don't think they've gone under like completely. I think they have laid off almost everybody, but 
they mm-hmm. they still have a website. I did I, coincidentally, I did go to their website the other day just to see like what was happening. Um, yeah. But um, I think they're still around. Uh, they just don't have as the need for so many computers as they used to, I guess. Yeah. Well, um, is their CEO Elizabeth Holmes? She literally can't work. Has she been? Is she let go from that company? Because I know she had some federal like you can't work on this problem for two years or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. She's on the website. I think the penalty was like she couldn't work on in she couldn't own a lab or something like that. Um, so, but I think if Theranos got out of the lab business, which they might have done, then I think um, she might be fine. I see. Yeah. I see. So. Anyway, it's funny. Anytime something happens like Theranos related, I just get like inundated with like messages and emails, <laughs> <laughs> as, as if like I'm like the one of the point people on this story. Um, you kind of are at this point. I would say <laughs> like you, you're definitely you have as much expertise as almost anyone who's an observer. That's probably that yeah. That's probably <laughs> yeah. Who's <laughs> not like actually involved in the industry, right? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to the movie when it comes out, you know. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. With the Jennifer, uh, Jen- what's her name? Um, Jennifer Lawrence? Lawrence, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll see what happens there. Um, nice. And the last bit of follow-up related to p-hacking is that, that tweet from NASA that I called out um, that said May, May 2017 was the second warmest May in 137 years of modern record-keeping. So yes. I don't know. So I made some quip about whether this is p hacking or not, and, um, and <laughs> which I which I appreciated as your second most snarky tweet because <laughs> your most snarky t- tweet remains the Kaggle tweet. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even remember so, my most snarky tweet. Like I needed someone else to remind me about it. Yeah, no. So so Roger's most smart snarky tweet. We've talked we talked about it on the podcast where it was some Kaggle contest using genetic data and Roger you said something like oh, I can't wait to see what batch effects they uncover <laughs> yeah I think they were trying to predict like lung cancer or lesions or something oh like right that. Yeah. yeah yeah it was something that was like relatively easy to predict <laughs> or like to it's like we already know the cause like we could just decrease smoking and right. pollution and um yeah and so this one just like yeah not a nod to our discussion of basketball alternate universes but, <laughs> like, but you know I, I, I do want to point out though that when people when people so like you know they, those statistics come out all the time you know june was the hottest month in 50 years or whatever um like people people don't question that right they're like oh look you know it's a it's it was a hot month right but no one's saying well you know in the alternate universes where all the <laughs> all the parallel universes with right. different earths on them that what? have had the same exposure right was it really the hottest <laughs> month of all of those right i mean yeah so anyway yeah i think it's a really good point i think it's a good point i do i will also say that i hate that argument for global warming because then it's like if there's a cold day then people say oh it's cold guess that global warming thing is a joke or you know it's, right I don't love that way of presenting the evidence <laughs> in general that in general I feel like it's a trend right now that people I mean I, I actually take that back it's certainly not a modern trend forever humans have like pointed to examples as a way to make a case but like as an empiricist I prefer you know more than n equals one to yes. make a case 
Yeah. yeah. I think it's, yeah. there's a difference between whether something's a fact and whether something is evidence of like a broader thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, so yeah. it could still be the second hottest month. That's not a problem. Um, right. But uh, it's, yeah, whether it's yeah. evidence of global warming, third story. Yeah. And it's like somehow that's the only thing that comes across, I guess, because it's easy to understand. It's one of the only arguments that you hear repeated over and over, like versus more, you know, quote unquote, scientific studies of like average temperatures going up or, you know, things that feel a little bit more convincing. Right. Empirically. Like, the, I guess those are hard to tweet. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to tweet all the caveats. Right. So it's much easier to just point to like, oh, it was like bad weather today. Yeah. <laughs> well, I yeah. think one, one thing that's related that is legit, I think, is that, you know, could people talk about the frequency of extremes? Um, mm-hmm. And so if it's like if the if the if the distribution of extremes you know, changes as a result of kind of rising temperatures, then that's like, then talking about the extremes is in some sense legitimate. But I think like characterizing summary statistics of tail events is also difficult to tweet. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Like potentially much harder to tweet because at least most people understand averages. Right. Yeah. But you get to like tail events and that's a whole nother story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's a good. It was a good. It's a good point. It's a very good point. So, did you get a lot of like action on that tweet? You know, was it... I didn't get as much action as I thought I would. Although the one person yeah. <laughs> said that like someone's like Breitbart was going to use that tweet as as evidence <laughs> of that there's no you know climate change and and there, you know I know that person was joking, but there is some like it's not like it's not completely a joke. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what. Yeah, is really hard about our modern era, yes. if you will. Is that you can't it's like hard to it's hard to communicate nuance in on Twitter that was basically designed for miscommunication. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh you wanna make a complex point? Like make it in very few words. Right. <laughs> and, and like if you wanna string things together, you have to be an expert user who understands yeah. like the weird reply system. Right. So. Yeah. Oh my god. The re- yeah. Oh, yeah, the reply system <laughs> I'll never figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um all right. So uh I think that's all I had for follow up, unless you remembered anything. No. Yeah. No, it's gone forever. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so one thing I wanted to bring back that came from a couple episodes ago um, was this idea of like variation in data analyses. And you made like an offhand comment about how, um, and you probably don't even remember this comment about how, and you mentioned this, this idea of like residual variation in data analyses, um, mm-hmm. meaning that like two, two data analyses could kind of achieve the same goal, but yet there might be some variation between them. Yeah, that, um, that sounds like me. That sounds smart. So me. <laughs> Is that your, your your CEO personality coming back? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Got it, got it. Yeah. Um, so what was it that was it? Yeah, okay. So, and I thought I was wondering. Well, a, if you had any more to say about that, um, mm-hmm. and b, like, I, I I feel like it's. This is an important topic to discuss just because, I, you know, I feel like a lot of what's happened in the last, I don't know, let's say 10 years um, has focused on, you know, this idea of reproducibility, right, um, which is obviously important, um, but it is, it, it kind of centers on the idea that we need to get, um, we need to recreate every last 
kind of bit of information that is produced by data analysis um, mm -hmm. down to the point where people are talking about virtual machines and you know mm -hmm. and reproducing mm -hmm. the whole environment etc right? Um, right and uh, and I don't think any of that is bad but I think um, it achieves a different goal and mm -hmm. um, which in many ways I think is um, I think it, like, you know, it's like it's not a goal that involves communicating what was done in a data analysis, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. it's very overwhelming, right? Yeah, completely agree, completely agree. And especially, I it's funny because I'm I'm starting, and this is partially empowered from Gabe Becker, but I'm starting to think that the whole virtual machine slash Docker containers environment is a little bit of like a the wrong path to be going down. Just because it is this obsession with like production and a certain type of production and sort of acting like, oh, well, once you once you get this, then this problem will be solved. And I don't think it will actually solve the problem. No, I, I, I've never I've never thought the virtual machine uh, approach was the was like a useful path to go down. Um, yeah, because I didn't think it was solving a, a problem that it was solving a problem, but I didn't think it was solving a problem that was like a major one. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I got a little more distracted by a shiny new thing, I think. And like, I do think it's very useful for certain use cases of a bunch of analysts working on a similar problem or, you know, there, I can I can totally see why it's coming out of industry and it's mimicking sort of like if you're talking about creating production algorithms, it makes more sense. But I completely agree. Like, I mean, if you're someone who's reading a scientific paper and you want to understand the environment, it's not like you're going to be, you're not going to go searching for the Docker container that is like keep keeping the analysis environment live from the researcher or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, you might, but I think um, that you would do that for a different reason than I think learning about what was done. You know, I think um, yeah. like, so like the, yeah. the ENCODE project a while back. Um, which is like this huge genetic, genomic study. I can't remember exactly what they did, but um, they they were. It was one of the first like really big studies where they released like a virtual machine that kind of had all the software and the you know, and the whatever software libraries that you needed to kind of recreate the analyses. And you know, I think that was right rightfully hailed as like a step forward. Um, mm -hmm. But like, but like, I, I don't th I don't get the sense that like if you get someone's virtual machine and you know unpack it and run it and run everything like you haven't learned anything yet, right? Yeah, I, you know, it's yeah. like you might learn something by like reading the code or you know, reading the paper and things like that. But um, it's I don't know. It's it seems very unsatisfactory to me. I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's sort of solving for. It's like assuming that you tried to reproduce something, like you went through all the learning steps and understood the code completely and tried to reproduce something and ran into some weird package dependency error. It like solves for that problem, but not the reading through the code and trying to solve it problem. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think so there's a certain amount, I think, like for example, if I told you I ran a linear regression, right? with like this outcome and these five variables, right? Mm -hmm. and, and here's yeah. the data set, right? Um, yeah. Like in that simple setup, it doesn't matter. Like I don't need to send you the virtual machine, right? It doesn't, you don't even, even if I told you I use R, it wouldn't even matter. Like you could do it in Stata and you get the same results probably, right? Yeah, right. Um, or, and so like, so there is a certain amount of flexibility that's allowed there, right? Because, uh, mm -hmm. 
And in that case, you could probably reproduce it exactly and get you know get the same numbers for the most part. Although sometimes these packages do regression differently. But uh, yeah, yeah, there um, can be. <laughs> I've run into this problem. There can be slight differences with like the way that standard error is calculated. But really, like you're talking about the fifth or sixth decimal point, not not like the big overall result. Right. Are you talking about like dividing by n or n minus one or something like that? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I see. I think we probably discussed this. I think we discussed this on yeah. an earlier episode. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the. I think it's like the title of one of our episodes. That's right. Oh, that's right. You're right. It is. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but I think. But you know. Okay. So that would. So if we, okay. Let's just hang out of that for a second. So that would prevent you from getting the exact numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But. I think most people would say that's like a variation that's within the kind of realm of okayness. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It was not necessary for me to go down that rabbit hole, yeah. but I did. <laughs> and I do think, I mean, it's the type of thing that would violate an all equal test yes, in R. for sure. So it's like, it could be, you would have to be careful about how you're comparing results and like rounding or whatever, but yeah, I think as a reasonable human, if you ran a linear regression in a completely different language and environment and got results that were the same to two decimal points, you would be satisfied. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, <laughs> you'd be like, this is, seems right, you know. All right, so there, there we go, the, the, Hillary, the Hillary standard of reproducibility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. yeah. So go I don't know, that. I was just yeah. thinking about, so, you know, actually, one of the reasons I bring this topic up, I kind of thought of... Uh, I think it's kind of like an analogous situation. Um, mm -hmm. So, do you know you know the the, the musical uh, it's George Gershwin's Porgy and Bess? Mm, I know the music from it, but I don't know the I mean, plot. So, I think most people know yeah. the song like "Summertime" and uh, yeah. Um, there's a couple of the famous songs from it. Anyway, so he wrote this musical, and in the and obviously the copyright is I think is still valid. Um, mm -hmm. And the and there's a requirement, he required that in order to perform the show, the entire cast had to be African-American. Okay. Okay. And, mm -hmm. and, and that he would not, and, they would, and he and his estate would not allow the, the show to be performed unless that, were, that requirement were, were uh, you know, met. Uh, which, I guess, you know, over many years prevented the, the show from being performed for various mm -hmm. reasons. Um, and there's been some debate about whether, like, that should be they should restrict they should relax that requirement because there's other ways to perform it and you know it allows for some kind of like art uh, reinterpretations of the of the show basically um mm -hmm. but no uh, they don't do that anymore so and so the i think his estate still requires it so mm -hmm. um so anyway but my point there being that like that like the re restriction is like this kind of you need to have a exact Almost, not exactly, but like a a a, a kind of a, a completely faithful reproduction of this show every time you do it. Right? You can't deviate at all. Whereas, like you know, there's lots of recreate re recreations or uh, what's the word? revivals of shows that um, they're uh, fundamentally they're different from the originals, but they still you know have that essential kind of element. Right? They still have all the same mm -hmm. songs, and you know they still have the basic story. Right? Yeah, I like where you're going with this. So where where am, I, where, where am I going with it? Oh, I just I see the <laughs> the analogy, sort of your your dean's lecture about music and kind of like interpretation and the art within analysis, and I feel like it's kind of going the same direction. It, it is. So I, I, you yeah. have to be careful with the language you use here because it's not like 
it's not like data analysis is open to interpretation. Right? It's not like what I it's yeah. not what I mean. Right? I think uh, mm -hmm. it's not like all elements should be modifiable. It's just um, so the language is a little bit tricky. But I think um, there are things that we I think we already feel are kind of okay to 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 not completely require. Like you know we we don't require the exact software package unless. You know, I mean, for, for certain types of routines, for other types of routines, maybe we would, right? I mean, because, you know, maybe there's only one software package that implements a certain routine, right? So, um, so anyway, I, um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on, on kind of other things that can be dismissed or dispensed with in terms of, of kind of communicating a data analysis that wouldn't necessarily be required and like another person could change and it wouldn't make a difference. So like, I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe another thing would be like, you know, the operating system, like you don't have to be using the same operating system that I used, right? Or, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, we don't require the same, you know, computer CPU or whatever, you know, something, you know I'm getting kind of ridiculous here, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's not, it may not have been ridiculous in the past, right? So, um, yeah. No, I think, well, so I have two comments here. First of all, I this is really reminding me of Joe Rickert's talk at the Earl Conference in San Francisco. Okay. So Joe Rickert works at our studio um, as like, a, a, I'm not even sure what you would describe his job, but he works a lot with the community, runs Bay Area user, our user group, and just like very involved with um, the art community generally. And um, he, he had this talk, I have this slide that I tweeted, um, pulled up where he's the title of the slide was the postmodern data scientist and then the data does not speak for itself and he like he had this like interesting the the rashaman the ra, the rashaman i don't rashaman yeah yeah the rashaman effect like for large complex data sets there are often many models each using different variables that meet the same performance criteria um, and he was just sort of going down this path of like, you know, data analysts and data scientists are always going to be making different judgment calls. And there are many correct versions of analysis. Like he was following this as well. And his talk was really interesting. I feel like I almost needed a philosophy degree. <laughs> just like <laughs> totally understand the dirt, like the whole postmodern implications. Um, but I was, I was definitely digging it. Um, and I think you're right. Like in terms of in terms of me feeling like the 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 Docker environments and things like that are overcorrecting. I think you're right. Like it would never. It's like almost not helpful. When I think about wanting someone else to look over my analysis and and me wanting it to be reproducible, like I would rather that they do their own thing and like even take a different analytical approach and make sure that they're coming up with the same solution that I did and the same conclusions. And then it's like your musical analogy. It's like, is the message of the musical so strong that even with sort of different interpretations and different biases coming in, the message, sort of like the overall theme of the musical is still coming out, if that makes sense. Are yeah. you suggesting that like you would prefer someone effectively do like an independent analysis in a way? Um, it, I mean, it really depends on what I'm trying to solve. But, you know, if I see some really big, exciting result, then I want someone else to come in really critically. Like my goal of having someone else come in and look at an analysis, if I'm trying to make sure that this big result I'm seeing is real, my goal would be for them to take a totally different approach and make sure that my modeling choices didn't exaggerate what's going on. Right. 
Yeah. Versus if it's, oh, well, like, versus if I were publishing something with, like, you know, let's say that I passed that criteria and someone repeated it, then I were publishing a result in a journal or even just like within a company, then I might also want to make sure that someone can follow my code and like make sure that my code is doing what I think it's doing and is optimized and whatever. But that would be a slightly different goal than, I feel like the amount of reproducibility and the amount of constraints has to do, or I guess you would even call it replicability versus reproducibility, but it would have to do with the goal that I'm going after and those can be really varied. Yeah, I, and I think the what you described there is similar to kind of what a lot of fields kind of internally have agreed upon. In terms of, like, you know, I think I think with like, is it with GWAS or some sort of g- genomics type of subfield that were like they don't publish a finding unless they get like an independent data set and they try and they do it again and it's also in that second data set, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. so it, it's similar to the idea, not in terms of getting an independent data set, but getting it maybe an independent person to kind Mm -hmm. of take an independent approach and see if they come with roughly the same conclusions. Um, Yeah. And the independent data set thing is interesting because I've heard that before at web companies with A-B testing. It's like, oh, run it again and see if you get the same results. I think that can be okay, but there are, you have to make make sure you think through the decision rules and decision criteria if you see different results. (laughs) Because otherwise it's just like a complex way of doing like adaptive alpha level choosing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah I mean? right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're going to double the sample size and like make alpha 0.1 instead of 0.05. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that yet. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I thought about that a lot because you know, like I was somewhere where like people kind of threatened to do that. And I was like, no. And it's not that it's a bad, I think there are completely valid reasons to rerun an A-B test. Like if you think that the population has shifted or you think that there is a novelty effect or, you know, for whatever reason, if you think that the population now is not the same population as when you did the test or that the effect the change is having is different than it was originally. Like there are many valid reasons to repeat an A-B test, but repeating it just to verify the results is like more complicated than just doubling the sample size of your original study. Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like, and then just doing the test on that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So so one last thing I'll say is that, like, um, you know, in terms of communicating what what was done in an analysis, um, like, if you were going to give a talk, suppose you were going to give a presentation on some analysis that you did, right, Um, you wouldn't put up, slides of your code right (laughs) Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. because even though that is what you did right right um you at least i don't know i've never seen it done if i have if i would if i had seen it done i would be like i can't read any this is this is useless right um yeah but why not right i mean it's because and the reason is because it's not it's like it's too in the weeds right it's too low level um and people are expecting a kind of a high level uh abstraction of what was done right um and so i think people naturally do this um but it's not something that we have kind of formalized as as like here's what's okay and here's what's here's here's like here's what's okay to leave out and here's what's not okay to leave out i guess yeah like here's the minimum viable communication (laughs) of a model yeah yeah or something like that right and then what's like the complete experience you know right (laughs) Yeah. yeah Yeah. 
I, I think it's a really good point. But I mean, but then that gets interesting because I think with with R and Python, sometimes it can be quicker to communicate a model with code than some of the other ways that people try to communicate models. You see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it can de- like yeah. one like one function call will communicate more information than like a paragraph or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you get into like subset analysis and. Like when I think about if I see a really nice like ch- dplyr chain that's has a group by and then like runs a linear model, it's pretty easy to be like, okay, I understand the you know two by two combination of of factors that have been accounted for now. Um, versus trying to write that out in an English sentence would be kind of harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. so I, I'm not saying that code is always wrong. I'm just saying that like when people present what they've done they don't always you know put their code up on a slide or something like that and some of it comes down to the format of presentation right but um Mm -hmm. so anyway uh i I won't say more on that but yeah no it's super interesting because i feel like so often people will say they'll kind of yada yada over the modeling (laughs) where they'll say and and it feels totally acceptable where it's like oh yeah we ran these regressions and we did some controlling for outliers and you kind of just trust that they did the right thing right and you only dig into it if you think it's wrong (laughs) if you you disagree with their conclusion right yeah yeah um which is like i think that's that's the point. I mean, that's like the right thing to do, right? I think in some sense. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to trust everybody all the time, but you yeah. Can't, I mean, hard. I think it, yeah, it can introduce some interesting bias if you're only double checking extreme results. But I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be such a slog to check every single thing. You know, we have to function as humans. <laughs> I mean, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it's hard to be distrustful of everyone at all times. It's just, it's, yeah. a, lot of, it's a lot of work. I mean, I try, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't right. make a lot of friends that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the other thing I wanted to bring up was uh, uh, Airbnb University. Which yeah, I, which yeah. I, I think might be a term I made up. I can't. I can't remember if that's no, actually no. I think that's right. I oh, think okay. that's the term they made up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So TechCrunch had an article about how Airbnb, the company, is uh, has uh, has developed its own internal training um, kind of system, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's uh and the idea. So actually, uh, Ricardo Beyond talked about this at the Earl conference. He was also a keynoter um, right after me. Uh-huh. And so he was talking about. He has a really great talk talking about how they use R at Airbnb, R and Python, um, and how they enable data scientists to you know publish and they have these internal packages for both r and python my favorite is they get stickers <laughs> if they um you get a sticker i think everyone can get a sticker just like you know the rbnb they call it rbnb okay <laughs> airbnb and so you can get like the rbnb sticker if you use it or like our data person and then you get like a special gold one if you're a developer like if you actually commit code to it oh wow okay. um and so you only get that if you have you know an accepted pull request so, <laughs> okay. um so they have some cool stuff like that and then um 
and, and they have like a huge, I mean, it's a huge company. And so they have a bunch of distributed data scientists. And so it's a good way to kind of congeal the community. And then, um, yeah, this data university thing, he talked about it there. And then we kind of chatted about it as well. And it's, um, it's, it's super interesting where it's both training for, from what I understand, and definitely if anyone from Airbnb is listening and wants to correct it, please write in. <laughs> but from what I understand, it's training both for business partners, like they have different levels the way you would at college. And so it can be training for business partners um, on how to interpret stuff. It can be training on business partners on like learning SQL and some basic aggregation methods and being able to use essentially like the data tools that they've published to make it easy to do data analysis. Um, and then I think they also have like 300 level classes that are for other data scientists where it's like learning more advanced statistical methods um, and tooling, so. Yeah, no, it sounds like it's a fairly kind of holistic company-wide effort. Uh, yeah, in absolutely. the sense that there yeah. is kind of in, there's a something for everybody there, um, and I think it, it seems like it re it's, it's it reinforces the idea of like using kind of data everywhere, I guess. Um, and it reminded me a lot of the kind of the the stitch the stitch fix uh, kind of like thing that the, the thing that you had on your blog that kind of shows how you use algorithms and data all over, all throughout the company um, yeah absolutely yeah and i think and i really like this model and we certainly have talked about this at stitch fix as well of like just trying to get um like getting the education there like you can build all the tooling you want but if you don't educate people how to use it they're not going to be able to. <laughs> and so I think, and that's sort of, I mean, I, I feel like I have this like mini rant or hot take on this. <laughs> Go for it. I guess it's not, is it, is it still a hot take if you've had it for a while? It's, I feel like it's... It's fairly warm, lukewarm at this point, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like a, yeah, a more established, like, it's like a baked hot take, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is just that I think like, I mean, I think so many companies, I think the reason why I have such an aversion to... Um, building up statistical tooling is because so many places think that it's just like the panacea and once you have it you won't have to train people to do data stuff anymore like they'll just get it and you can kind of like put them in front of this tool and it works um, I think there's a real desire and probably based on the fact that it's hard to hire data scientists it's hard to build a team it's like this newer field it's a newer way of integrating a company and so if if companies want to be quote unquote data driven, <laughs> but don't necessarily have the resources. They feel like this is kind of a good, it's like, oh, we can just like get this capability by paying, you know, for this proprietary tool. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and we don't have to hire a whole team. And so I really like that this is a way of like, it, I think this is the only solution to having a truly kind of like data informed company mm -hmm. is like persistent training for forever <laughs> yeah no i think so and it's it well i think that it's interesting the article that in TechCrunch uh kind of opened uh kind of as with the motivation that like i feel like that this kind of data university or whatever they call it um solves kind of like a last mile problem for them in the sense that like people coming from universities or or boot camps or online programs have a certain foundation of skills but they're obviously not trained in their specific tools because they don't work there yet. Um, and so if they wanted people who were going to use their specific tools, they had no other choice, right? 
Um, and so, and I think, so, but some of it is probably more generic style training in terms of, you know, SQL or whatever, or data science. And, uh, but a lot of it might be just kind of training on their specific tools, which is like only they can do, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the bigger companies, like I think um, Facebook has something that they call data camp. They have like boot camp for engineers and then data camp for data people, where it's a similar idea, like training on the specific tools. I mean, at some point it just becomes more efficient than onboarding every single new person and having to like scrape together like, oh, they need to learn all this set of knowledge. Like it's a way of productionizing <laughs> the like passage of knowledge. <laughs> to new people, which is, I mean, I think the data scientist training is interesting and intuitive. I think the business partner training is less intuitive. Less people do that, I think. Um, and it's more, I feel like the business partner training is more likely to try to be, companies are more likely to try to solve the issue that their like PMs, their product managers or business partners generally can't interpret data with new tooling. Do you see what I mean? Like, right. if you have PMs who are like, "Oh, I don't understand these experimental results," I think the gut reaction is like, "Okay, well, we'll we'll build a different dashboard that makes it easier to understand." I see what you're Instead saying. Instead yeah. of like, you need to commit like this role requires like ramping up on these skills, and like there we cannot. At some point, you cannot simplify. Like, <laughs> statistical testing has some level of complexity that you can never. Even if you try to make a red light, green light situation, <laughs> like you still are going to have complexity there where the light's turning on and off or whatever. And so you're going to have to train people to understand it better. Yeah, that's what I, I thought was interesting about this article is that it seemed like they really got a buy-in from like the very top. Um, yeah. And it's not just like we're going to train some data scientists how to do machine learning, you know. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, totally yeah. agree. Yeah. 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 And I think the thing I picked up on the article was that there was a PM for the university, from what I could tell. Yeah. Um, and so it was someone who, and they had thought carefully about, like, how do you define success here? Like, we need benchmarks. And I think that's really important. And that's something I feel like I hone on a lot at different, whenever people talk about sort of internal training or resources, I feel like I'm always raising my hand saying, like, do you give people raises for doing this? Like, do you give them bonuses? Like, what's incentivizing people to do this? Like, is it coming across as positive in their career internally? Like, they might be motivated because they know it's just good a good skill set to have, but it's also nice to reward people for putting in this effort, right? Yeah, and I think it, 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 all, it also helps to know that in some sense, everyone is doing it. Like if, you know, if the managers are doing it and ev if everyone's kind of involved, then it's more about like everyone, it, it's, it's more, um, it's, it sets the tone, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. It's like a quote unquote core competency. Like it's something that you're supposed to do. And, and I know, I mean, both places I've worked so far have definitely, they, they hire business partners based on their willingness to like work with data scientists and understand data and have data informed decisions. So it's like they're hiring the right people, but unless you do the training, you know, the training is like a necessary component too. Um, so like you have to hire enthusiastic folks and then deliver them some ways to learn. Yeah. <laughs> the other reason I found this article interesting is that like, I feel like for companies, um, well for companies in general, I feel like they don't, they don't often talk about, well, really any kind of internal processes, you know? And, um, and so I thought it was interesting just as an outsider to kind of get some de details about how they think of this, how they think of data science training and how they approach it. 
Um, and, uh, and for, and for me being on the outside in an academic setting, kind of like figuring out like, where does that line get drawn between kind of like what is learned in an academic setting and what is learned just like kind of, uh, at the kind of, at the kind of, what am I trying to say on the job, I guess, or, you know, at, at the point of point of usage. Right. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> and, uh, and there's always this tension, I think between in, oh, any industry, not just Silicon Valley between like how, academics not teaching things that are quote-unquote useful um and uh, things that are taught at in industry as not being quote-unquote academic right <laughs> mm -hmm. um and uh so i'm just fascinated about kind of like where that line is drawn and like and and trying to thinking about like, are there anything that is there anything that we could be teaching that they feel like is not being taught you know oh yeah i mean absolutely and i've been super encouraged by i know like a lot of um not a lot. I've heard I've heard tale of people trying to like like statistics professors trying to incorporate, you know, A/B testing into their intro stats classes instead of sort of the traditional like medical or however hypothesis testing is is taught now, like changing the examples and things like that. Right. Um and so I think that's yeah, that'll be good for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, I also thought you might be interested in this because they do reference like online courses. And so with your like Coursera, I think I think the reason why your Coursera data science track has been so successful is like the lack of these resources within industry generally. So like if you're working somewhere and you want to ramp up on data science skills, you're kind of at a loss. And then like, you know, MOOCs came out and it was you know, this huge win for people who wanted to be learning outside of a university setting. The point I was trying to make was that I think your Coursera classes have been data university for a ton of people. And so this is almost like competition. <laughs> I'm sure you don't view it that way. But they do bring up like, oh, the general data science courses online, like weren't you know, not not quite hitting that they're too general, and we want it to be much more specific to our business problems. Right, and there's really not much that I can do about that. Right, I mean, I can't. <laughs> I mean, create I mean, a sub module for every company. Well, you know, there is talk of. I mean, I think so. I think like Udacity did a little bit of that, which terms like they would partner with a company, um, and mm -hmm. the actually Coursera does has done this too, where they'll partner with a company, and they'll ha the company will help to kind of arrange the curriculum. And um, and then the, so the curriculum will be guided by the company with the sense that like the company's employees would then use it. Right. Um, but that's like a, a fairly slow process. But on the other hand, it does outsource the kind of curriculum development for the company. You know, if the company doesn't have the people to to do the courses. Um, so but I think like a company like Airbnb is, is sizable and has like a huge data team. And so they could probably they probably felt like, well, they could do it internally, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I was thinking, I mean, another tool I wanted to give a shout out to was like Data Camp, the company. And so they have these like ways of doing training and like watching videos and then taking quizzes. And I think I think it's fairly easy to create one internally, like to create your own module. You don't have to even coordinate with them. I think no, they have yeah. the tools online. Yeah. And so um, so that would be a good option. And then the other thing I was going to just say is that it is sort of com I don't know if comical is quite quite the right word, but you know, data science is this profession that's sort of famous for having like ex academics, <laughs> and it's like they're kind of like creating academic <laughs> academia within <laughs> like <laughs> like they're bringing it with them. And but I, I mean, but it is an efficient system for teaching knowledge. Like that's like 
you know, it's been honed over thousands of years, right? Yeah. Hundreds of years. Yeah. yeah. Hundreds or thousands. Maybe so just hundreds. Your comment uh, actually came up, brought, reminded me of something that I wanted to, to bring up, which is, if you don't mind me poking fun at Silicon Valley for just like a few minutes. Um, Please do. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I think it, it goes to this idea of like Silicon Valley, you know, reinventing everything. Yeah. Uh, so like, for example, like universities and classes and, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there was like, I don't, did you see the lift shuttle thing this week? I did. Yeah. yeah. So reinventing the bus and, uh, I know I, so I have, I do have a hot take for this also. <laughs> I will t- just say this What? as a person, I take Muni every day, like the San Francisco public transit. I'm a proud Muni writer and I'll write it within the city. I will say that the lift line or the lift shuttle routes are like, like they're very clearly where the Muni line does not go. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's not just like, oh, we created a whole new bus system just for rich people. Like, you know, I like, I mean, I totally understand that criticism and I think it's like a complete shame. You know, I, everything it's just it's complicated san francisco is very complicated like there's... you know like to be honest like i actually i didn't really have a problem with it like i just what i only i thought was funny was the the marketing page for it was like it was so kind of um it was like it was like it was almost for like for people who had never heard of a bus before you know <laughs> <laughs> it was like you wait at a stop to for yeah. until the designated time, right? And then like an automobile will show up, and like you know, it was like <laughs> that's really funny. You know, I just I know, it was a little over the top. Anyway, but that's not my point. My point was that I think the next thing that if they haven't yet already that Silicon Valley will reinvent um, is inference. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's I... happening. It's happening. Well, I already told you about my like smart designer colleague at Etsy who was like looking at Google Analytics and she's like yeah like you know the colors are different and I was like can we somehow formally compare the colors right. <laughs> like the colors like representing proportions and I was like you can <laughs> like let me tell you about it <laughs> but um <laughs> well that's that's yeah. um that's one thing um but I think where it's really going to happen is with AI like I really think that um AI is fun, like AI slash machine learning, like it's super fun now. It's really amazing. All these kinds of cool uh, apps. But, you know, when people start talking, like I saw a tweet the other day that was like, here's how you kind of think about, like here's how you should think about training machine learning models or AI type systems where it's like, you know, and it's like, you know, think about where the, how the, think about how the data were generated, right? <laughs> uh, do, do, do these, da- are these data representative of some population and what's that population, right? And, um, and it's like, it's basically, it's like all the things that you think about when you do inference, right? Um, yeah. And it's not the things that you typically think about when you're just doing prediction, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so anyway, I just, um, you know, I happily await that day is all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, is this like saying when computer scientists reinvent inference? <laughs> <laughs> right. But they'll find a way to make more money from it than we ever did. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, undoubtedly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. No, I think I I think you're right. And then I I remember I think Daniela Witten, who is a professor up at University of Washington, a statistician. She was talking about this exact problem several years ago of like, we don't have good inferential methods yet for like machine learning slash AI, or at least the way that people think of inference for 
traditional statistics and how they think about it for machine learning seems like very different. Um, and so I think maybe this is coming from that. I don't know. It, yeah, it's come up before. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm not saying it hasn't, but I just think that it's coming up more often now, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like, I feel like, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like this is where statisticians need to like be reasonable. You know, I feel like um, the the consequences of false positives and false negative in an AI universe is so different than in traditional statistical applications. And just like how you have to communicate it and speak about it should be different, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think um, I think the the kind of traditional machine learning issues in terms of prediction quality are still, they're not going to go away, obviously, I think. Um, but I just, you know, I think it's interesting for me because I think that people are kind of backing into inference using a totally different language. Um, and, and some of it is coming from the, you know, the, the, the idea that like machine learning models are biased because the training sets are biased. And, um, and so there, and so like you have these face recognition algorithms that don't recognize like African-American people or whatever, you know? And, um, and so like people are seeing these kind of very real effects, um, and they're trying to understand why it's happening or, and, and so they're. It, you know, it, it's coming down to like, well, the training sets are not representative and how are the data generated and, you know, what do the relationships that we estimate here, do, do they do they generalize to a population? You know, it's like, um, and so I think they're, they're approaching it using like a different vocabulary uh, and a different kind of setting, but it's uh, ultimately, I think the same thing that, mm -hmm. yeah, so. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Have to get, have to be on guard. Yeah. <laughs> Help with the translation, or I don't even know. Well, yeah. I, I, Address these problems. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think one thing for uh, statisticians to be on guard for is just to be open about, like, you know, um, being involved, I think, you know. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. Because I think it's easy to dismiss. It's easy to dismiss this kind of thing as, like, oh, we've done this before, so, like, see you later, you know. And um, And I don't think we should, I don't think it's good to take that approach because, you know. We have, we have a lot, we have, a, you know, we've learned a lot and I think it's useful to, to participate, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that comes down to like, it's an interesting problem because I think statisticians are really good applied partners in many fields, like in biology and medicine. You know, I think, I think they've, as a field, like we've done a good job of being productive partners with those people. And I think it's like, it, it's been a more complicated thing in data science, in part because the job is sort of like the minimum requirement for the job is like you need to do all this stuff. And most importantly, you need to be able to implement it yourself. So it's like you have to be kind of a, like software engineer savvy. Um, and so it's like, does it mean that in order to be at the table when these conversations are happening, more statisticians need to be learning computer science or software engineering skills? Or does it mean just really pushing, you know, via professional society or whatever, like educating people that statisticians will be productive partners in this conversation? With the caveat that then we'd have to like deliver on that promise. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, there's that part, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, I mean, statisticians are good applied partners you know what I mean? Like, I feel like the kind of like, oh, we've done this before and like stomp away only happens when it's like not really a partnership. 
Yeah, and I think I think the danger here is that like I think there's been a lot of um, you know consternation over the rise of data science and whether statisticians are being left out or ignored or whatever. Um, and uh, if and I'm just saying that like if the day ever comes where you know people come to us and say, hey, you know now we need now we need your help, like we should be mm -hmm. ready to help. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, and, totally. And to yeah. not be like, oh, well, you didn't think we needed your help, our help before, so like, you know, we're not going to help <laughs> you now, you know. So, um, yeah, <laughs> like the petulant child yeah. response was like yeah. not appropriate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is for sure going to happen, but we should try to minimize it. I think. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, anything else you want to talk about? No, I think that covers it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good show. Well, so and uh, if you have any uh, feedback for us, you can uh, reach us at uh, where can you reach us at? Oh, yeah, nssdeviations at gmail.com. Uh, and our Twitter is at nssdeviations. Uh, Hillary is hsptr uh, on Twitter, and I am rdpang on Twitter. So see you next time. <laughs>